Hello and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. I'm your host and founder of MSL Consultant, Aoife O'Dwyer. Today on the podcast, I interview Scott Favor, Vice President of Medical Affairs. We talk about building a medical affairs department and particularly we dive into the three pillars that are recommended when you're building an MA department. We talk about community engagement, who will we engage with and why, evidence generation over the entire life cycle of the product, and communication, publications, building materials for congresses and also materials for MSLs, and how these three pillars, when done correctly, can ensure you have strong foundations for building an effective medical affairs department. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Scott, and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So before we get into the topic today, can you give the audience a little bit of information about your background? Yeah, so I am Scott Faber, and I, right now I'm at Scholar Rock uh, as Vice President, Head of Medical Affairs. Um, and this is my landing spot from uh, basically the last 12 years of my life working in medical affairs. So I am a PhD neuroscientist by training um, and got into medical affairs on the writing side of the, the business. Uh, I was a scientific writer at a Biogenidec. Um, and spent a few years there um, and had been given great advice to really get a thorough understanding of everything in medical affairs by actually working within each function. So I have consciously spent the past decade plus really trying to understand each role and um, getting roles or jobs within those specific roles. So from MSL to medical information, publications, building a communications team and function um, and being a medical director and coming full circle to, to finally starting on my own at a small startup-like company that's in phase three um, in, in neurology. So that's Amazing. me in a nutshell. Amazing. And it's fantastic that you've actually had boots on the ground and experienced all those roles because I know I've reported to people before who've worked as MSLs and people who haven't. And when someone has actually been in your shoes and worked in your role, the level of mentorship that as a leader you're able to provide for people um, is really spectacular. So I imagine you have a great experience across the gamut of roles. So today we're going to talk about um, building a medical affairs department. So what are the three key priorities to keep in mind when building an MA department? Yeah, absolutely. So I when just my philosophy around medical affairs in general from building or being part of a group that already is established is really having three fundamental pillars. And the first one is uh, HCP, or I think we can actually broaden that now into community engagement to include the, the patient voice and payer, payer voice as well of who medical needs to interact with. Uh, I think that's that's number one pillar. Number two is evidence generation. So what are those activities that have to happen over the the life cycle of a particular asset within a medical affairs organization? Um, Everyone thinks of, well, you get approval and therefore you have to have a phase four program or evidence generation. It actually needs to be thought about much earlier, even sometimes around during the, the phase three study or even phase two that you have ongoing. Um, and the last one is communication. So that's everything from publications to building materials for your congresses, as well as your medical science liaison materials. 
And if we dive into each of these in a little bit more detail, so starting first with community engagement, which is nice and broad, so it could be HCPs or, as you said, payers as well. What do people really need to keep in mind when thinking about this pillar? So for me, with with community engagement, it's making sure that there's consistency in the the, the voice, and it has to go both ways. So um, I, I always step back and say, what is the community? How do they actually think about the disease? And how do they think about where your particular um, therapeutic or device fits in within that paradigm? And then building out, ultimately, you know, it's, it's a deliverable for all of medical affairs, that scientific platform, and making sure that that is something that is resonating within the company and the community itself. Um, so for me, building that out is just is absolutely number one and making sure that um, the field team is able to to have the ability to to make sure that they understand what is the medical affairs narrative um, to have those conversations consistently, whether it is um, an HCP, whether it is ultimately a payer, even that patient or patient advocacy voice. And I think it's so hugely important, as you said, to have consistency because without that consistency, the company in itself, it looks siloed and a little bit confused as to where it thinks its product fits and what problem it's actually solving. Whereas if you're able to build out a department from the very start that knows exactly what the narrative is, they can really control that narrative. And ultimately, it means the questions the MSLs ask and the insights that they get will be of higher quality and they'll be more directly relevant to the strategy that you're developing. Yeah, I couldn't agree 100%. And I think the, the it's also important to note that we're not robots. We have our own way of speaking. So it's the concept that's important. And that when I think of a scientific platform, I think of the concept that the team understands. And then we have to educate our um, internal stakeholders of this is the concept. But MSL one, medical director one, MSL three, they might say it three different ways. And that is okay. It's as long as that concept is is resonating. And in, I think the, the proof is in the pudding when you see that concept coming back to us as a company, when you have somebody on a, on a podium or even a physician that you're talking to speaking to you with that concept coming out. I think that's that's the key. It's the, it's the concept, not so much the, the lexicon. And it's so important as well, because to your point, different people within medical affairs, they might communicate in a different way, but also to be an effective MSL, you need to flex your communication style based on the stakeholder you're talking to. So to really get that concept across, you might need to maybe use some of the words that they're more likely to use so they can fully understand what you're talking about um, as well. Yeah, um, So. If we go back to the second priority you mentioned when building out an MA department, um, it's evidence generation. Can you talk us through a little bit about what this means and what you need to keep in mind with regards to evidence generation? Yeah, um, and I think this is an evolving area and I've been lucky enough in my past few roles to, to actually jump in head first and say it's not just about you know the post-approval process. Uh, I think most of us know that you know, when we think about something, and, and I'll take rare disease as an example, burden of illness is always one of those things that, that you hear. It's, it's one of those cliche things of what's the burden of illness? We need to talk about the burden of illness. Um, that is actually, you know, a deliverable of, um, of evidence generation that's becoming more commonplace within medical affairs. Uh, and so, for example, 
example, right now we're building out our evidence generation plan. We just finished enrollment of our phase three study. I would say we're actually a little bit behind in being able to talk about the burden of illness and understand where it is um, in the sense of we need to have data published for when we actually have results in one year. So there's different ways to get about how do you actually build out the burden of illness. And it's thinking about chart reviews, surveys, literature reviews to do meta-analyses. All of these things take time, but you can see that you have to have that available for when you have data readout because your team needs to run around the world to say, here's the burden of illness, and then here's how your particular asset is going to, to provide value um, to, to relieve some of that burden of illness. But if you also think about who we are as a Metafair's people, you know, we're highly educated PhDs, MDs, PharmDs. You know, even when we're thinking about what does an asset bring to a new indication, for example, how do we provide that evidence? I've been involved in teams where there is no evidence to suggest that that asset's going to work in a particular disease. But with our skill set as being scientists, for example, how do we make sure we find and are able to develop scientific experiments with our colleagues who are working on other programs further down the line in development to bring that? So it's thinking about it from the whole gamut of even before you're thinking about the asset, how do you bring in that value of providing that evidence, even if it's to connect people to actually get the projects going from the your scientists to, um, to the program teams, for example. That's a key role that medical affairs really can start playing. Um, so, so I don't want to just think about it's only after launch that we have to start thinking about those phase four studies, because even there, you need to be thinking about them now, if you're a year and a half, two years ahead of time, to say, how do we know who's going to be interested in doing these if we really need those evidence gaps fulfilled? Yeah, and identified as well. So what are the data gaps out there that are actually important to the clinicians who are treating patients? And one of the things I learned recently from someone else I interviewed on the podcast was the importance when you're choosing your investigators to ensure not only that they can design a clinical study, but also that they can present the data. Um, because that is a very important skill set as well. It's not just about the ability to design a robust study, but the ability to communicate and really disseminate that data as well is hugely important when choosing those investigators. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're in the, here at Scholar Rock, we're in the spinal muscle atrophy space. So this community is amazing. Um, I mean, all communities are amazing in their own way, but they are so ingrained in making sure companies succeed. And, and that's very unique. You don't get that in every disease state. Um, so they want to be involved in the de design of your study. They want to be, in, and they'll let you know when, yeah. when you're, not, you're not communicating with them about here's the data. So it's, you know, you're absolutely right, if, especially if you have a community that's receptive to that. Um, you really can take advantage and make sure that they're it really they're coming on the journey with you in the the clinical development. And so having metafairs there from the beginning really helps that out to say these people are fantastic in this area. They're great communicators. You can find who your lead PI is going to be that will present your phase three data. But then as you're doing post hoc analyses, who's your who's your next tier person that's going to be presenting these really important analyses? And they should be very well known, like knowing what is going on. You know, I've seen it. Uh, at larger companies where we're like, we're going to do this postdoc analysis and they're going to present and then you have to explain to them. But if they're involved in the actual postdoc analyses themselves, it makes it a lot easier for that presentation. 100%. And what you talked about as well, I really think it touches on what 
is best practice for the pharmaceutical industry, where it is a true collaboration between the experts in the field and the pharmaceutical company working together to bring medicines to treat patients and improve patient outcomes. And I think if all pharma companies were able to do what you're doing and really engage and have a true collaboration with those experts, it would massively um, improve the treatments that we do have for patients as well. Yeah, smaller companies, it's a lot easier too, right? Because we rely on those experts. I don't have expertise in certain areas. We also have oncology here. I'm going to need to rely on those experts to help me out um, to really pave the path in, in particular areas that, that we don't know. And we'll have other disease states that I that will need to, to hire. It, it's really ripe for that, especially at the small companies. And it's, again, I think it only provides value to the communities that we serve because the experts are helping us bring the best information about our particular assets. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and on to the third key priority you mentioned when building an MA department, which is communications. You touched briefly on publications and conferences. So what needs to be kept in mind when talking about communications? Yeah, this is probably the hardest one, especially when you're talking about building a MetaFairs team and at smaller companies becomes very difficult because you're you're not just serving the the medical community when you think about what you're doing. There's other stakeholders, and you know one that sticks out in my mind is um, the investor uh, community. So they they are lifeblood is the reality in the pharmaceutical industry. They're the reason why we can do clinical studies. They're the reason why we can end up launching. We have to make sure that we are scientifically rigorous, but that what we're putting out to the entire world makes sense for multiple stakeholders. And we can't get caught up in those really kind of nuanced type of descriptions that don't make sense to, to other stakeholders. And that actually serves us well because you know, patients and patient advocacy groups, they're not ingrained in the, the science for the most part, that being able to speak to a broader audience is not just important for, for the investor community, but also with the patient community themselves. So I think when we're thinking about that, of how do we present, how do we stagger what we're doing so we're not just throwing all this information and hoping it sticks, that it's it's very well thought out and you know, not to use a cliche word, but strategic about when we're presenting top line data, secondary analyses, what are we doing for post hoc analyses so people understand what those nuances within the primary analyses really are. I think that is that becomes an art more than the skill of, of communications. I think medical communications at a smaller company is one of the, the harder jobs. Um, why I love doing it at a really small company because you have to you have to be nimble about what is the information that's coming out. Planning is always super important. I'm, I'm an advocate for planning, but you have to understand that that planning has to be able to deviate on a whim because you get new information left and right. It might not just be from your data, but from competitor or outside sources that the field has changed and how do you fit into that paradigm? And that's something that you know, traditional medical affairs, especially at larger companies, that's a really hard thing to change because they have rigorous processes to, to do them. Um, and I think it's, it's easier at a smaller company because your lifeblood is around that communication. So I think, you know, again, very exciting area, but one of the more complex um, processes to, to weed your way through, especially at small companies. And it's such a brilliant practice to be forced to communicate in a really simple way. So you can't hide behind complex scientific terms or complex statistical analysis. You really need to present the information in a way that everyone can understand it, which means that you really need to understand all the information. And to your point, 
when you're going to present something and why you're going to present it. So you're creating that narrative, that scientific story. You're not data dumping on everyone. You're giving them pieces of information at the right time so they can understand exactly what you're doing and the reason for it. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it yourself, right? That's the, that is the um, saying. And I, I definitely believe that if, if you're just talking and saying things because you're trying to get people to, to be wowed by, by the brilliance of the science, then you really truly don't understand it. And, and the reality is it's already confusing enough. So the, the key is absolutely like, how do you make it? So it's a one, two liner of what your data really means. Yeah. And I think being forced to go down to one or two lines, you'll really just keep asking yourself, okay, but what does this really mean? What does this really yeah. mean? Until you get to the absolute nugget of, of what that piece of information truly um, means for the community. Um, so there's a huge amount of talk nowadays in the industry about um, medical affairs being a strategic partner. And I think medical affairs has come a long way. There are certain organizations where medical affairs is still more of a support function um, it varies from company to company, from culture to culture, sometimes between different brand teams within the same organization. So based on your extensive experience, how can medical affairs set those expectations from the start that they're a strategic partner, not a support function, and work really, really collaboratively with all their cross-functional partners? For me, it's all about doing the doing the job, showing, showing that you can engage with KOLs or with patient advocacy organizations and bring them in internally. Um, I, I agree. It is, it is a gamut. Um, even here at Scholar Rock, I look at us as both. We're both strategic and support. And I think Medifair is, is that's, that's where we're at our best is being able to provide both. Um, I, from a strategy standpoint of if you're taking, let's take indication selection, for example, you have to be able to figure out who are those top, people within the field, whether it be a patient advocacy organization or a KOL, and bring them in internally to have those conversations in advisory boards or steering committee type meetings. And that's where medical medical affairs shines because we know how to bring in those people. It's I, I know it's simple to some people as well, you can just send an email and ask, but it really is about the relationship and how do you start that relationship. Um, and that that again is is more of art that medical affairs professionals excel at. Um, and then I think that that is just one example of, of trying to get in when it comes to evidence generation. I mean, again, we're all scientists, we're all medical doctors, we're all pharmacists that have that ability to think and problem solve and help design clinical studies. It's getting into those clinical development teams and being able to, to provide that value of this is what's needed for the physician when you're thinking about a development study. You know, it's generally what's the primary endpoint to get to regulatory approval, but what are those other key things that the community is going to need? And that really comes to to talking the talk and walking the walk versus, you know, trying to, to force our way in and say, we can do more, we can do more. It's just actually getting up and doing it. That is easier to do at a smaller company, right? If you know six people and they're having a conversation around a, a cooler, you can have those conversations. It is more complex and, and more sophisticated organizations, um, but it's still possible by being part of program teams. Medical affairs is now consistently part of program or project teams or brand teams that they are able to provide that value. And it really is just stepping up and, and being able to, to have that share of voice. Yeah, and to your point, it's about actually executing as well. So not just talking about doing, but actually bringing in those relationships, those KOLs, having those steering committees, getting people up on podiums, 
demonstrating, well, this is what we've achieved, the tangible yeah. outputs um, that medical affairs can actually show to the rest of the business, well, this is what we've done and this is why we've done it. The strategic reason for that as well. When I work with different MSLs and we talk a lot about stakeholder mapping, I always say, well, first look at what you're trying to achieve and then ask the question, who can help you achieve that? That is how stakeholder mapping should be done. So you're strategically identifying the right people who can help you achieve what your organization or your brand has set out in your medical plan. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Scott, thank you so much for sharing all your experience today. I learned a huge amount and I'm sure the audience did as well. So thanks for your time. Thank you.